0: We're going to finish our Advent series uh, today. Um, I know we still have Christmas Eve and kind of Christmas service, right? It's always weird when you have the 26th as your Sunday, but um, kind of like our Christmas service. But um, we'll do some other things for that. But for today, we're going to finish it up. Our Advent series called The Messengers of Christmas. So far, we've looked at the angel as a messenger to Mary, messenger of grace. Last week we saw an angel sent to Joseph as the messenger of fulfillment. And today we're going to look at the very well-known part in Luke chapter 2 as we see the messenger of joy. So let's go ahead and, and pray as we go to the Lord. Father, we ask that as we read this passage that is oh so familiar to us during the Christmas season, that you would renew and refresh our hearts by it, that it wouldn't be routine or mundane to us, but you would give us fresh eyes, that you would illuminate our hearts by your Spirit this morning to see the truth of this and to be reminded of who you are, and what it is that you were doing in sending your Son to us. That we would grasp the significance once again, and that we would have our hearts lifted up in worship to you again, as we praise you this Christmas season. So work in us this morning, and may your word work in us, by the power of your Spirit in us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Having four babies within the last four years, Lydia and I have learned to be cautious with who we share certain information with. If you tell certain people that she is expecting before you tell others that are closer to you, well, you may upset those who didn't hear it from you first. Or when the baby is born, you have to be sure, right, to send pictures and texts to certain people before you ever can post it on social media, right? Because once it goes on Facebook, there's no going back. And we all have a sense of these choices, don't we, when it comes to messages that we want to share. Well, if I tell this person, the rest of the town will know by the end of tomorrow. If I tell this person, I might have a good week or so before everybody knows. And I certainly want to make sure that those I'm closest to hear it straight from me first. So we're faced with the question, when you have news to share, who do you tell it to first? And we actually find the answer to that very question when it comes to the news of Christ's birth in our passage this morning. Of all the people in the world to hear this good news of great joy for all people, Who hears it first? Who does the messenger of joy come to? What is the message of joy that is shared with these people? And what is their response to that message? Those are the questions we're going to see answered in our passage this morning. So let's go ahead and read it out of Luke chapter 2. We're not going to spend much time in the first seven verses, but... I'm going to include them for the sake of the whole context of the story. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So the first seven verses give us the story of Christ's actual birth. right? That Joseph and Mary leave Nazareth for Bethlehem to be registered, as Caesar Augustus has decreed. While they are there... It comes time for her to give birth, and she gives birth to her firstborn son. No place for them at the inn, so she wraps him in swaddling cloths and lays him in a manger. Now, based on what we've heard in the past two weeks with the angels' announcements, messages to Mary and to Joseph, this is a massive moment. Based on what we've already heard, this child is the son of David, the son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who will save us from our sins. So, this pivotal moment in history arrives, and the question is who's going to find out first? And we find out the answer is quite unexpected the lowly recipients of joy. When the king of kings arrives, even as a child, one might expect an announcement to be made with some sense of royalty, right? Made to another king or at least to a royal household of some sort. Or when you find out that God is coming in the flesh, you might expect that a priest is going to find out or a scribe is going to be the first to know. But that's not what we find here. In verse 8 we find in the same region where Jesus is born, there's shepherds, shepherds out in the fields watching over their flocks through the night just like they always do, just like every other night, or so they thought. This is a wonderful, wonderful reminder that the first recipients of the message of joy are lowly shepherds. Now, shepherds once were much more elevated class in the world. When society was purely agricultural in the early days of the Old Testament, a shepherd with lots of animals in his camp was actually a rich man. We find out in Genesis that Abraham and Lot actually had to separate ways because their camps were just becoming too large, filled with animals and people. So shepherds were actually high-class, rich people when it was only agriculture, but that didn't last long, did it? Because quickly society begins to urbanize and cities start to form. So they were extremely blessed at first, like Abraham and Lot, but as society grows and cities get set up and become more prominent, the scales all of a sudden begin to tilt in the other direction. Shepherds now are the, on the outskirts of society. In fact, at this day in history, they're not even allowed to give testimony in a court of law. Those shepherds have to stay out there The only thing they're good for? Producing animals for us to buy, to take to our temple sacrifices. Other than that, they're last in line, hidden from the rest of the world. But remember what this child, this baby, will say 30 years later. The last will be first, and the first will be last. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Of heaven, Or later from James, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So while it seems astonishing to their society that the shepherds would be the first ones to hear this news, we just sit here and smile as we hear that these lowly shepherds are the ones with first dibs on the news of a lowly Savior. It's a helpful reminder for us to ask ourselves... Where are our hearts this Christmas season? In fact, ask ourselves always, where are our hearts at? Do you think of yourself highly or lowly? Now, by lowly, I don't mean that you find your life to be meaningless. But what I mean is, are there people in the community around you that you look and you say, I'm just a little bit better than them? These others are dirty, not to be bothered with, simply too far gone for me to waste my time on. Does coming to church boost your ego about yourself, or does it remind you that everything you have is only given to you by God's grace? If you find yourself too proud, too busy for Jesus, too busy for other people, let me tell you this. This message of Christmas joy isn't for you. Not because God couldn't be gracious to you, but because you're too proud to ever receive that grace. You know, I was just uh, looking on my phone this morning, and someone that I used to go go to church with had posted this thing, and like, it made me think for a second, especially in light of what I was going to preach on this morning. It said. I look in the mirror at myself and I tell myself, You got this. And I walk out the door. And I was like, They missed Christmas. If you think you got this, you missed the whole point of Christmas. Because the essence, the heart of the Christmas message is this You ain't got this. You ain't got it figured out. You can't do it on your own. That's why God had to send Jesus. That's why God had to come in the flesh, because you don't got it. That's the whole point of the Old Testament. All they found out was over and over again, we can't do it on our own. Yet they continued to try to. So if you find yourself thinking, all i got to do is tell myself I can do this, I got this, Christmas isn't for you. But if you find yourself lowly this morning, as one who has come to the realization that every single thing you have has been given to you by the grace of God, then rest assured that this message of joy is for you. And as we move into the appearance of the angel, we begin to see the message that he brings. He is the messenger of joy. It doesn't seem so at first, based on how the shepherds respond, but soon we find that it's good news that the messenger brings, and we're going to take a look at just the details of this message. What makes this message so joyful? Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that will be for all the people. So initially, the shepherds respond with fear. The glory of the Lord shines around them with this angel's arrival, and they're afraid of this glory. But the angel speaks those familiar words, right? We've already heard them with Mary and with Joseph. Fear not. Now with Mary, it was fear not because God is showing his grace to you. With Joseph, it was fear not because God is fulfilling his promises he's already made. And now with these shepherds, it's fear not because I bring you good news of joy. They're not to fear because this is joyful news. It's not scary news, it's good news. And it's not only for them, but it's news for all the people. So what is this news? What is this joyful news that they hear? Verse 11 gives us three pieces of this news, just in that tiny little verse. Verse 11, For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. There's a whole lot wrapped into this verse as good news of joy. Some of it we've already covered in other parts of our Advent series, but let's go ahead and look at these pieces. First, something is taking place in the city of David. This gives us two reminders. Just this alone, city of David, gives us two reminders. One, we already saw in the passage concerning Mary's messenger and Joseph's, that this son would be from the line of David. This is the promise God made all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He told David that one of his offspring would sit on the throne forever. That he would have a kingdom that never ends. So this is a direct connection to that city of David. means he's coming from the Davidic line. But along with that, there was even a specific prophecy given about the city of David, about Bethlehem itself. Micah chapter 5, starting in verse 1, just for context's sake, starting in verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor is given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our places, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Now there's a whole lot there within Micah, of a whole lot of cultural context that's going on there. And we don't have time to unpack all of that in one sitting this morning of just this short time. But let me just hit some highlights of what's going on here. Bethlehem is too lowly Too lowly of a town to be considered among the clan, the tribe of Judah. Yet, from this town will come the ruler of Israel. A king from of old, from ancient of days. This ruler will shepherd his flock. Interesting choice of words. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. Remember, Mary was told in her message, He shall be great. He shall be their peace. Also mentioned in Isaiah when he's called Prince of Peace, or here at the end of the angel's message in Luke 2. So right from the start, this message of joy announces Bethlehem, a small town but one holding deep significance for the coming ruler of Israel. But also in verse 11, we see that within the city of David, a Savior is born. Salvation has arrived in this child. What kind of salvation? Well, certainly elements that we saw in Micah. Salvation as a king who brings peace, but maybe a different kind of peace than what was expected. Not peace with Rome, but peace with God. Because of sin, mankind has been enemies with God, hostile towards him, actually walking with another ruler called the prince of the power of the air, which is another name for Satan himself. But this savior born in Bethlehem will live a sinless life to become the perfect sacrifice for us as he dies on the cross for our sin. That's what Joseph was told. He will save his people from their sins. That's the Savior that's born because that's the Savior all of us really need, isn't it? But the messenger goes one step further. City of David, a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord. Now Christ is the Greek term for the Hebrew word meaning Messiah. So this is opening up all kinds of Old Testament promises here. The long-anticipated Messiah, the servant of the Lord who would deliver Israel from her enemies and bring her into a restored kingdom, a kingdom where God would be the ruler and they will be his people. Again, as we've seen in the Gospel of John during our study of it, all sorts of wrong expectations of what this Messiah is going to look like for the Jewish people. Probably even some of these shepherds having some wrong expectations. But nevertheless, the announcement is true. The Messiah is here. And he is Christ the Lord. The authority. The master. The owner of his people. What a great reminder for us that from the very get-go, from the very announcement of Jesus' birth, we are given the reminder you don't get Christ as Savior without also taking him as Lord. The two have to go together. You know, there's a genuine debate in Christian circles that people believe they can have Jesus save them from their sins without him actually being ruler of their life. That's like cheering for the Hoosiers during football season, but then for Purdue during basketball season, right? You can't just change your loyalties like that, right? I hope not, at least from where I come from, you don't do that. It's not allowed. You can't just switch over back and forth like that, right? Now, I get why you might want to cheer for Purdue right now. I don't get why you might want to cheer for either one of them during the football season, but anyway. Tangent there. The point is, you can't change your loyalties like that. It's not allowed. It's not supposed to be allowed, is it? Same goes here. Right here in Luke, we see from the get-go of the announcement of Jesus' birth, you can't have one without the other. Savior and Lord are inextricably infused together in the person of Jesus. Christ doesn't save you from your sins unless he also becomes the ruler of your heart. You submit yourself to him. You are led by him. You lay all that you have at his feet, Savior and Lord. This is the good news of great joy, Savior and Lord, born in a baby boy in Bethlehem. But one more important aspect to this message of joy. Specifically for these shepherds, these lowly people, verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Well, there can't be too many newborn babies in Bethlehem in that lowly position, can there? Look for a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. In a manger? In a swaddling cloth like what they would wrap animals in? Notice what this sign means. For these lowly shepherds, this is a lowly sign that this Savior and Lord being born is a lowly Savior and Lord. He has entered in in a lowly position And not just any lowly way, but in a lowly way they would be very familiar with. Mangers? Quite common to the shepherds who are used to feeding animals. Swaddling cloth? They know those too. Because when they're doing that dirty work of delivering the babies from their sheep, when they pull them out, they wrap them in swaddling cloth as they continue on. You see how this news is joyful? The Savior and Lord in Bethlehem is accessible to these lowly shepherds. Those sinners, those sick people, those untouchables of society are actually the ones who can identify Jesus because he also comes in a lowly state taking on the form of a servant, as Paul says. A lowly Savior and Lord for the lowly people who will lower, humble themselves before him. And then we get to the end of this angel's message with this great display of joy and worship by the multitude of angels, verses 13 and 14. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Quickly, just two aspects of their joyous praise. First, glory to God. God alone could do such an act. God alone could enter into this world to be able to be identified by the lowly while also being disguised by to the proud all the while still on his way to the cross to save us from our sins. So he alone deserves honor and praise for the Christmas message. But then the second part, peace with whom he is pleased. No more hostility Brokenness being restored. A transition from enmity to reconciliation. A message to be announced to all, but not a message that will be trusted by all. No, only those of lowly heart will experience this peace. Only those who humble themselves will find out that they are the ones who please him. And then after this time of worship, the angels are gone. Poof. No longer there. The shepherds are now left to respond to this joyous message. Your last point in the outline, a joyful response. What does a proper response look like to such a message? How does one take the message of joy and respond with joy? we see three specific parts to the shepherd's response. We'll hit them quickly. First, they respond with trust. Much like we saw with Mary, trusting that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon her and conceive of Christ, much like Joseph trusting the word that he was supposed to take Mary as his wife, these shepherds also show a trust in the word that was spoken to them. Look at verses 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The Lord has made something known. They attribute this angel's message as one coming from God himself, so they trust it and joyfully, hastily decide to go see all that they have been told. They believe it to be true that a Savior and Lord has been born in Bethlehem, and they want to see Him. So they trust Him. They trust the Word. Second, they respond with proclamation. News that is this joyful a news that is not only trusted, but also as they arrive found to be true, well, this kind of news must be announced. This time, not by the angels announcing it to the shepherds, but by the shepherds announcing it to anyone who would hear. Those who once couldn't testify in court become the very first witnesses about the birth of our Savior and Lord. Verse 17 And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Some wonder at their proclamation, maybe confused or unsure about it. Others, like Mary, treasure such things and ponder them because she also trusts this message that has been given to them. These shepherds are not basing their proclamation upon how are people going to respond to the proclamation. They simply want to make known what has been told them concerning this child. He is the Savior. This is Christ the Lord. He is the ruler to come. He is the one who brings peace. He is the one who will shepherd God's people. This news must be proclaimed. And last, they respond with worship. Can you imagine such a scene in the town of Bethlehem? Just being someone to watch it happen. You see these shepherds enter and leave the city. You watch them as they run by, and then they turn, and they run into this stable. They run back out, headed back to their flocks. All the while, all you're hearing are words of Savior and Lord looking also verse 20 and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them essentially what these shepherds had just seen take place by the angels worship is now become their reality as they have found this news to be true they are now in wholehearted worship as they have found the message of joy is actually real there is a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. They heard the announcement of this child in a manger. They saw this child swaddled. They proclaimed his significance, and now they return back to their flocks, all the while the entire time giving God the glory for all of it. I hope this also can be your response this Christmas season. That you not only say you believe that Jesus' birth is an actual, factual event, but you entrust yourself into the arms of Jesus as Savior and Lord, born that night and laid in a manger in Bethlehem. And not that you just entrust yourself to him, but you can't help put but proclaim this message everywhere you go, because you don't fear whether people are going to believe you or not. You know that this message is true. He has saved you from your sins. He does rule your heart. You know you have peace through Him. And then ultimately it soars your heart into worship. Realizing that it's not because of any greatness inside any one of us that Christ was sent, but only by God's grace. So Him, God, and God alone deserves all the glory and all the praise for such an act. My friends, a joyful response to this message of joy only comes from those who have a lowly heart. This message first comes to a group of dirty, undesired shepherds on the outskirts of society. But these lowly shepherds receive a message of a lowly Savior. Christ our Lord, born in Bethlehem, placed in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, a lowly, humble position, making Him accessible to anyone else who finds themselves lowly. The last will be first, and the first will be last. So where are you this morning as we come to this last week into Christmas? Are you lowly, humbling yourself before Christ as Savior and Lord, or is your heart elsewhere this season? Too many other things to worry about this time of year. I'll be lowly on Christmas Day, that'll be enough. I assure you it's not. Christ comes to be Savior and Lord every day leading up to Christmas and every day following after Christmas. The Savior who gives you true rest, true peace, true salvation. The Lord who guides you, rules you, and forever reigns over all things. So will you respond to him with a lowly heart? A heart that trusts him. A heart that trusts what he has said. A heart that proclaims the message of joy that you have been saved by. And a heart that worships. Giving glory to God and God alone for all that he has done. All that he is doing. And all that he will do. I promise you this, only a lowly heart will produce a joyful response this Christmas season. Let's pray together. Father, my request is simple but not always easy. Humble us this year, as we come into these last days, approaching Christmas Day, may we not wait to humble ourselves until that day where we just give thanks to you for sending your Son, but may every day, may we wake up and humble ourselves, find ourselves lowly in hearts, knowing that you sent your Son in a lowly position making him accessible to lowly shepherds and also to any one of us who will humble ourselves before him. So as we come into Christmas this year, Father, may we find ourselves lowly, not thinking highly of ourselves, but realizing how much we can't do it on our own. We need a Savior. We need a Lord. And you sent us one. In sending your Son to be born in Bethlehem, swaddled and laid in a manger. As we humble ourselves, may we find ourselves joyfully responding with trusting you, proclaiming you, and worshiping you this season. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.